This is Chris McGregor with information on how you can help Discerning Hearts continue our mission during our summer appeal. No doubt this has been a very challenging year, but because of the generosity of so many of our donors, it's also been a year of blessing. But to make it to the end of the year, we do need your help. We are funded 100% by those touched by the work of Discerning Hearts. So between now and August 22nd, if you can help with a donation or with your prayers, it would be greatly appreciated. You can donate by clicking on the link found on the discerninghearts.com website or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Thank you and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. Discerninghearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me again. It's wonderful to be with you, Chris. Thank you for this opportunity. We are about to enter into one of the most interesting chapters, I personally think, in all of spiritual literature. It is a fascinating exploration of what happens in the soul that is growing closer to that unitive way. Am I overstating it? No, in fact, you're dealing with a soul right now in whom mystical grace has already become normative in their life. And the kind of prayer that they're experiencing is is a kind of prayer of union, which will conform them more and more to Jesus so that they can enjoy an even, even deeper union with him. But at the same time that this is true, that you're dealing with what we'd call the mystical life, you also blended with the incredible peace that characterizes the life of somebody in this state. There's also very intense suffering. And that's the note that book six of the Interior Castle starts with and that she expounds on. St. Teresa expounds on this mystery as it goes forward. It's a little bit counterintuitive because one thinks that as one draws closer to the Lord and you enter into the mystical life, the graces becomes maybe more and more pleasant or delightful in one way or another and sensational and extraordinary. That's not really the story she tells you. What she tells you is how these mystical graces actually ground you more deeper into the frailty of our humanity so that out of that frailty, we come to know how much we need to rely on Jesus. Well, take us into this first chapter. And well, I should note the first chapter of 11. I mean, this is the biggest 
portion of the interior castle. And when I say when we go into a mansion, I mean, this one is really broken down into a lot of pie pieces, isn't it? Yeah. So she develops a lot of important themes. And in this very first chapter, she's going to be talking about interior and exterior trials that go with this stage stage of prayer. And then uh, as she goes forward, the other chapters begin to deal with how the different kinds of trials that you experience are also conforming you to Christ. But here in this chapter, she gives us the bad news first. <laughs> oh, okay. So first we get the bad news, and then as we go forward, we get the good news. But in the very first par- paragraph, she reminds us that she's still developing this prayer of union that she started talking about in the fifth dwelling places. And we know that a very important moment in that um in the fifth dwelling places and in the prayer of union that starts there is this glimpse of Jesus. She speaks about seeing him for an instant. And in that instant, he heals and promises the soul so much. And the soul finds so much peace in his presence and has its soul set on fire uh, uh, so profoundly she says it's it's like an engagement. And so up until this this stage of the spiritual life, in the fifth dwelling places, you've been kind of courting the Lord, or the Lord has been courting you. But then there's this moment of encounter, it's very brief, where a kind of engagement or contract between God and the soul is made. And Jesus kind of says, I'm going to promise you a, the most fruitful and profound kind of relationship, but you got to trust me. And when there's that self-disclosure of the Lord to the soul, the soul responds to it. And um, and even though that prayer is very brief, it's quite intense, and it prepares it for everything that is going to happen throughout the sixth mansion, or these six dwelling places. You're drawing closer and closer to the light and the warmth of Christ Jesus, but this one is the most mysterious because as you draw closer, you don't feel like you're drawing closer. It feels like you've lost your way. It feels like something's wrong in the spiritual life. And the only thing that will get us through this stage of all the different trials that we're going, that she describes is our trust in Jesus, our trust in what we beheld when Jesus disclosed himself to us and promised himself to us. That's what gets us through this stage. He gave us a glimpse of a glory that is to come. And in that glimpse, if we strain with hope in him and in his word, he will bring to completion the work that he's begun inside us. The trust, trust me. We hear that so often, the sacred heart of Jesus, I trust in you. Faustina, you know, Jesus, I trust in you. And it goes all the way back. I mean, I, I'm thinking of Gertrude the Great and so many others. That is a an important call, isn't it? Even for us. I and mean, we may not be in that sixth mansion, but to trust. I most certainly believe that it's hard to make any progress at any stage of our spiritual life if we don't learn to, to trust the Lord. But here, there's a new kind of trust that calls is called for a trust that can only be made 
by the strength that comes from the Lord. So there's in this kind of trust that we're talking about at this stage of the spiritual life, at this stage of prayer, there's a note of fortitude or interior strength. The interior strength is what's going to make, as that grows, that's what's going to be able to make a deeper kind of union with Jesus possible. Our problem is right now, we want the union, Jesus wants the union with us, but our soul isn't strong enough to bear it. And so the Lord sends trials to strengthen us interiorly and exteriorly for a more beautiful and a more fruitful kind of union than we've ever known before. And so you're right, trust is there all the way through. But what the Lord's asking for these souls that have gained a certain measure of maturity is a deeper kind of strength in that trusty, strength that is able to persevere and endure come what come may. It's like having your love tested before love is tested. You know, yeah, oh, I feel so in love and I'm going to do all the stuff. And then the first test comes and you run the other way. Well, that's not really that great of a love. But a tested love, a love that's able to stand, stand strong, you know, this or that may happen. And it's not going anywhere. It's going to be faithful. Is there a particular order to the trials? I don't think so. I mean, there's kind of an order she lays out. She speaks first about the exterior ones and then the interior ones. But I, I think in, in practicality, they kind of coincide with each other uh, in, in real life. You know, as you know, Chris, as while we're recording this, a pandemic has kind of uh, gripped the world right now. And so any number of souls right now are dealing with many different kinds of exterior trials. The beauty for those who have committed to drawing close to the Lord in prayer is not that they will be spared the exterior trials of of this disease uh, or their loved ones will necessarily be spared. We pray for that. We hope for that. We wish it. We And of course, it's worth interceding for. But sometimes, though, the Lord permits us to get sick and even to become very sick. Teresa of Avila will talk about being acutely sick. Well, acute pain, pain so severe that you can't think anymore, does seem to be an obstacle to the spiritual life. It distracts you from prayer. It robs you of the courage to pray because you're, all your energy is zapped and it's hard to move your heart towards the Lord in prayer. This is possible to happen. And what Teresa of Avila is saying in that is all these kind of exterior things, they're not extrinsic to one's union with God. They're the pathway to it. Uh, that God uses these things so that we can grow and strengthen our love of him and at the same time realize how reliant we are on him. One of the biggest obstacles to the spiritual life is we have this sense of self-sufficiency or self-reliance where we think, you know, I'm a pretty good guy and if I really try hard enough, I can stir up my devotion and it will please God. And so I'm capable of pleasing God. You know, I just need to try a little bit harder and I'm there. And it's really a lie. Even the most simple movement of devotion that I might be able to make, I'm only able to make because of an extraordinary, wonderful grace of God's love in my life. He's the one who makes possible for me to express my devotion to him. 
I get so comfortable, so familiar, and so used to it, I can take that for granted. But when you've suffered a severe illness on the outside, or the loss of a loved one, or the loss of financial stability, or the loss of a dream that you had, and all of a sudden it shattered. When these things happen, they happen to all of us. But for those who are growing in spiritual maturity, God is going to use this thing in your life in a very powerful way to draw you even closer to him, to help you rely on him even more. And so in that sense, these very, very difficult trials, even extreme physical trials that come with difficult illness, these trials are not accidental to our spiritual life, but something that God incorporates into his plan so that our union, our friendship with him can be brought to a greater perfection. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease, that others may be chosen and I set aside, that others may be praised and I unnoticed, that others may be preferred to me in everything, that others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen.
Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. You know, it is interesting that one of the trials right off the bat is one that it affects us. And is it pride? Our pride, where people will say things about us or things that we thought, friends that we thought were close have turned on us. It's mm. it, the big trial of the ego. Is that fair to say that? Yeah, I suppose we are overly concerned about what people think about us. But here, though, this soul isn't very inclined to voluntary movements of pride. Those have largely been knocked out of them. What's going on here at this stage of the game, this is somebody who's practicing virtue, who's a very humble person, in every sense. But this very humble person, what what happens at a certain stage of your spiritual life is you become humble and grow in maturity. People begin to point at you and say, look, that person's a really holy person. And they begin to praise you for your holiness. And believe it or not, that is a particularly acute form of suffering, persecution for this soul. Because this soul of all things, does not want to be noticed. This soul would rather be in the background. To be sure, the fact that compliments actually disturb the soul, that is a sign that the soul isn't completely detached. It's actually attached to being unnoticed. (laughs) It's it's attached attached to being thought ill of. Uh, This soul, if there are other people who will judge the soul and say things like, oh, you know, see, uh, that soul is acting holier than thou. They think they're so much better and they're doing this to shame us. And these were all things people said of Jesus when he was undergoing his trial. Similar to Jesus, these souls can be moved by that sometimes. It's not like there's no pain in there at all. But that doesn't cause as much pain for these souls when somebody says beautiful things about it. The counsel that John of the Cross uh, gave very early in the spiritual life applies here in a very particular way. And so this Teresa of Avila, um, I, of course, had John of the Cross as a spiritual director. I hear John of the Cross, especially in this particular chapter of Book 6. But to enter into the spiritual life, to begin the spiritual life, John of the Cross says that It's a good thing in our heart to foster the desire that others not think highly of us. And that's at the beginning of the spiritual life. 
here you have a soul towards the end of the, you know, the highest levels of maturity. And so they've gotten good at desiring that people not think ill of them. That's one of the reasons why when people start praising them, it's harder for them. But what God is teaching them, the reason, why does he allow that happen? You might think about this in particular, as I read this section, I thought about Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was held up by the whole world as a saint long before she was dead and canonized. And it must have caused her terrific suffering to have everybody always pointing to her, calling her a saint. You know, uh, what St. Teresa of Avila is saying, at a certain stage, you become indifferent even to that. You're no longer worried that people think ill of you. You're no longer worried that people think well of you. Your heart is so given to Jesus and uh, you're so in love with him and you're so concerned about what he thinks and what he sees and what his plans are, what other people think or don't think you're indifferent to. And that's the reason why God allows you to go through these trials is he's, Jesus is trying to teach you this holy indifference so that whether people think well of you or ill of you, it doesn't distract you from loving him. That's a deeper, more faithful love than a love that's subject to whether people think well or ill of you. You know, they, they don't, they, they don't think ill of me enough. They all love me too much or they, or they all think worse of me than I really am. And as long as we're subject to that, where we we have the ability to be pushed this way or pushed that way by what other people think. Well, that's not a very stable place for a faithful love. And so God allows you to suffer these trials so that you can be established in a, a, a deeper, more secure place of love. That is really a total paradigm shift in our thinking, isn't it? I mean, we... I, Especially for a younger generation, well, I think it's true for every generation. Quite honestly, I mean, when you here's the selfie, I've got a doctor the photo. I've even as we we pray in a church, how am I? How do I appear to others? I mean, I don't mean to be so critical, and I shine the light on myself more than anyone else. But it's such a part of our our ethos, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. This is probably uh, one of the places that where God will then be working to purify us a little bit because we have a little higher dosage of pride and narcissism way before he can even get us to this point. He's going to be working on us in this area. And that means he's going to allow things to happen where, where people will think poorly of us. And when that happens, thank God. Uh, you know, that's, that's not Jesus removing his blessing from you. That's him preparing you for a greater blessing. Because if we just live for what other people think, our spiritual life will always be stunted. But if we are free of what they think one way or another, we have a capacity to be attentive to the Lord with a greater presence of our personal being, a greater capacity to implicate ourselves in God's work. And God can do some beautiful things with that. Okay. She also goes on to talk about something for many would be a deterrent to wanting to grow in the spiritual life because as she says, our Lord now usually, again, 
usually sends severe bodily infirm- infirmity. Now, why would you want that? I'm just I'm posing that as a as an every man question. Why would you want to Why would you want to have that? Well, I don't think uh, anyone wants to have it for its own sake. Although you do find expressions in the saints where uh, they've come to love suffering. But the reason why they love suffering is because they find Jesus in it. He's hidden in that in the most spectacular ways. So it's it's never that suffering in and of itself is some good thing. But God is especially present in suffering uh, he, because he's chosen not to abandon us in, when suffering when there is suffering. And so when our body is acutely sick, he's present there in a new and unfamiliar way. And so why does he send suffering to souls who, whom he's calling to a greater spiritual maturity? He sends them suffering, even acute physical suffering. He sends them because he wants to disclose the immensity of his love in ways that they've never experienced before. And the only way he can do that is to allow them to enter into experiences that they've never had before. And acute physical suffering, where you're brought to the very edge of this life, places you, puts you in touch with your your weakness, your frailty, your inadequacies. And, and precisely in that, God is present. Uh, he's present to be given to you. And when I'm saying this, I'm not talking about he gives himself to you in some sensible consolation that you can feel or understand or talk about with others. Um, In fact, the way he gives himself to you is so hidden, so unfamiliar, so uncomfortable, and really so inconvenient that uh, when you're going through it, you're scarcely aware that he's given himself to you at all. Uh, This is, remember, in an earlier conversation, we talked about the difference between a sensible consolation and a spiritual delight. And a sensible con- consolation is something that your imagination, your intuition, your feelings, your, your imagine, uh, your, excuse me, your, your memory, your intellect, all of those things can be part of a sensible consolation. But the deeper spiritual delights that God lavishes upon the soul, delights of his presence, are deeper than all those powers of your soul. And so how do you enter into these deeper places of your being? Well, acute spiritual suffering opens up caverns of the human person, abysses of human beingness that otherwise would remain hidden from our awareness. And God wants us to surrender to him in those and then in those he begins to give himself and the gift of himself that he begins to bestow at those periods of acute suffering are not fundamentally different than what we'll experience what she'll go on to describe in the highest levels of union uh, it's it's already the the beginning of those highest levels of prayer but it when it begins it's not familiar to you. It's not, it's not comfortable to you. Uh, uh, you're not able to perceive it. It's completely hidden from you. 
uh, how do you know that it's going on? And the way you know that God is giving giving you these gifts on a deeper level, I, I would say not a level that you're exactly conscious of, but on the deepest level, a certain peace has gripped your soul and a certain certainty and confidence about God, even though you're not confident about yourself, you're not confident about what God might be doing, but you are confident in God. And there's a peace that comes with that, a confidence in his promise, not untested confidence, but a tested confidence in his promise, a certitude whereby you know in, in the deepest, most fundamental level of your being, even though you might have a thousand intellectual difficulties and doubts and your feelings might be in totally different place, the most fundamental level of your being, you know what St. Paul says, our hope does not disappoint. We'll continue our conversation on this particular chapter of St. Teresa of Avila's Interior Castle in our next episode. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you will find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.